Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. I love you. I love you, Reed. Uh, forgive me, I'm coming on the back end of a cold right now, so thankfully, Dior uh, gave me this contraption. <laughs> what is that? What? What shape is that? But it, it moves. So if I need to get some drinks here, that's going to happen. Uh, let me read this passage, and, uh, and then we'll get started, all right? <clears throat> so this is uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. I think we have this right here. So I'm going to read this version. This is uh, the ESV. Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, but you will be put on. What? Um, or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So to this point, Jesus has been inviting us to shed different things from our lives. If you guys remember in the previous weeks, the different trade-offs, basically, that Jesus has invited us. He said, you can get rid of you know, being pretentious and fixating on what other people think of you, your reputation, your appearances before people. He says you can get rid of like kind of empty words and prayer and trying to impress God with your verbosity. You can get rid of judgmentalism and unforgiveness and holding grudges. And last week, Reed talked about getting rid of your attachment to money. Um, mo' money, mo' problems, as he shared with me earlier today. Did you say that last week? <laughs> he didn't? No. That's what he was thinking in his heart. So now Jesus asks us to shed one last thing, worry or anxiety. That should be as simple as all the others. Jesus asks us to shed our preoccupations and idols because they all lead to death. A life preoccupied with appearances is a charade, it's a masquerade in place of a life of authenticity. A life of verbose verbal performances before God is theater in place of intimacy. A grudge-filled life of unforgiveness is a life devoted to hatred and malice, not the freedom that comes with grace and seeing people in light of how God feels about them. And yes, a life fixated on storing up riches makes us blind and inattentive to where God is at work in his kingdom not ours. We are not the ones in charge of the kingdom. The parable of the rich fool in Luke 12 that Reed talked about last week shows us that that lifelong preoccupation with maximizing wealth or even generational wealth uh, is just that. It's a preoccupation. Be present to what God has given you. Be generous with the generosity he's shown to you. And don't miss the sweet opportunities in front of you to share with others. And then finally, 
we have the command to let our eyes be healthy, not unhealthy. And the language there is about generosity, breadth. It's a wideness about how you see the world. Do you see the world in this narrow, constricted way, or do you see it in this wide way? That's kind of the invitation there. So this isn't merely about money, but it's about grace and wholeheartedness. Reputations, appearances, empty, long-winded prayers, unforgiveness, and money. What else is to shed now? Now, anxiety and worry. What do you guys think about that bargain? Do you want to uh, give up your treasured, uh, perseverating thoughts in order for a life that is freed from anxiety in some ways? Does that sound like a good trade-off? This is like that awkward, yeah, sure, maybe, I don't know. Okay, good. Uh, So... Jesus offers us three things that we might be preoccupied with in the passage. Food, drink, and clothes, or more succinctly, sustenance and swag. (laughs) Sustenance. It's noteworthy that Jesus has just reminded us in the Lord's Prayer to give thanks to God for our daily bread a few verses earlier. And swag. I get that King Solomon might not be your fashion icon, though maybe it's time to bring back sweet, decadent robes. I know, Reed, you probably walk around the house in that, like, deep purple. Yeah, like that. It's good. It's good. But Jesus tells us to imagine the flowers of the field and then tells us to be like one of them. Thanks, Jesus. I'll be sure to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, too. That's your first boxing metaphor you've ever heard in church. You're welcome. That's Muhammad Ali, if anybody's wondering. Uh... Yeah, don't worry about it. Who did you think it was? Come on now. That's Muhammad Ali, baby. All right. Stay with me on the image for a moment, though. When Jesus tells us that we can be like a flower, a flower in the field, it doesn't work or worry or spin or toil, as it says in the text, um, because it's doing exactly what God intended it to do. It is being exactly who God intended it to be. If we perfectly trust God that he'll continue to do what he's always done, he'll do what he did yesterday, just as he'll do it today, just as he'll do it tomorrow. The past and the future are taken care of. If we can trust God with our past, then we can trust God with our future. i got to set this down. <clears throat> so past and future, what does that leave us with right now? Present, that's right, college students, come on now. Past and future, right now is the present. So this is the one thing that is dead set against us in the present, anxiety. Anxiety wants to rob us of being present. And there's so much going on with that. If we go back to the language, originally the word in Greek, ananke, is with a root that we get the word anxiety. Anxiety, it's from a really interesting family of languages that all kind of mean dread. Um, dread, fear over the future. But at its most basic root, the word means throat pressed together, a narrowing or a constriction, imagining a choking, fixating over things we can't control. Now, like fear, anxiety is kind of important. Uh, Our initial reaction and response to something, uh, it's unrealistic to be cool and calm in every single situation, right? Um, A mentor of mine once said, there's no such thing as a a non-anxious presence. That would mean you're dead. Um, So what we're after here is how do I become a less anxious presence in this world? A couple of things that are are helpful if we want to be that, if we want to do what Jesus is calling us to do. The first one is to name the anxiety. If you name it, you gain some power over it instead of letting the anxiety and the worry own you. 
as Steve Cuss writes, to be a non-anxious or less anxious presence means to acknowledge anxiety, but not let it be the driver of your behavior. So think about the things that are causing you anxiety right now in your life, whether it's coursework or relationship, something going on at home, whatever it might be, and say out loud to them or yell out loud right now if you're feeling real audacious, you are not driving. Yeah. All right, good. You're not driving. It's like saying to somebody who's not sober, you're not driving, okay? Because, because anxiety and fear and worry is preoccupied with the future, which you can't control, right? And if we trust God, then we know that we can trust him over here. And he's robbing us. It's robbing us from being right here in the present where we belong. So tell them that they're not driving. The other thing is to trust God with the future. This sounds too easy because like most spiritual truths, it's based on that very, very simple straightforward thing. Trust God and surrender everything to his love and his care. Let's think about this a little bit more tangibly, though, for a second. If you're like me, one of the things I cope with uh, in the midst of my anxiety and my preoccupation with the future is I like rehearse conversations. Anybody else rehearse conversations? How is this going to go once I get to that moment? And then it robs me of actually the experience itself and being fully present in the moment. Instead of trusting that God is already ahead of you, because he's already there, remember? You perseverate over what you'll say and do. So this robs you of two things, the present and presence. I know that sounds cutesy, but stay with me for a second. It doesn't allow you to be in the moment. Even more devastatingly, it confines you, it constricts you, it squeezes the life out of what you're meant for. You're there, which is being present in the moment, but it's also your awareness and your very presence as you respond to people in real time. To be fully aware, presence fully intact, means being fully in tune with God and the people who are around you. It means availability, wholeheartedness, willingness, attunement with the spirit, it's all these different things. And that's the life we were created for, not a life of hiding in the garden but walking freely and openly with God. It's also interesting to consider some of the Hebrew roots of anxiety. Uh, Derek was writing some Hebrew on the board over here a second ago, and the word zarar is the first word that you see there. The word zarar in Hebrew, it means, it means that same thing, a narrow space. Every single time we see the word translated in the Old Testament, it's, it's translated anxiety or distress. And zarar simply means narrow or, or cramped. Um, it's antonym which is the opposite. The opposite word is the word yasha. You see right underneath it. Anybody know what yasha means? If it's not narrow space, what is it? It's like an open wide space. You know it, right? What's the other, what's the other root that yasha means? Anybody, anybody think about what it sounds like? Yeshua, look at you guys. So the word means salvation. It's where we get this word and it's the base root of Jesus' name. It means like a joyous and expansive freedom, which is so interesting to contemplate when you think about who Jesus is and what he has to offer us. So what I want to do right now is to think about this together. We're going to take a couple minutes, turn around to the people sitting around you, uh, invite people in. If somebody's sitting by themselves, invite them into conversation. Here is the question that I'd like you to discuss. You ready? Where do you feel most free in life? You can think about it this way. Like, where is the place? What are you doing? And who are you with? Any of those things. Where do you feel the most free? Where is it at? What are you doing? Who are you with? Go. Talk.
All right, where do you feel the most free? You could talk about this all night, couldn't you? Yeah. This is a good conversation to continue. So I'm hearing Ellie talking about hanging out with her friends, just just hanging out, just talking. What about anybody else? Where do you feel the most free? When you get in the car after work, are you listening to anything or are you just hanging out? Just silence and sitting in the car, driving or not driving? There you go. Just being, just breathe. Anybody else? Where do you feel the most free? The volleyball court. The volleyball court. Look at that. Huh. We were just talking about that. Playing volleyball? Seriously? Practice or a game? Volleyball. Both? That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you play volleyball here? Um, not for sure, but for come on. Come on, club. Awesome. How about somebody else? I need a couple more. It's kind of a personal question that I just gave you guys. Mine's kind of cliche, but here at the CCF. Yeah. Being here with a ch with CCF, yeah, that's an awesome answer. So that would be that would be my answer, for sure. Like this 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 ministry completely transformed my life because it's the first time I encounter people that kind of embodied that kind of freedom and humility and joy and all the things that make CCF amazing. I mean, when I got to know Derek and Reed and Keevan years and years ago, that's the thing. It just totally changed things. So, uh, yeah, that's a great answer. Anybody else got got another one? No one wants to follow that. Yeah, you're right. That wins, right? I got you. Okay. The porch. Hey. The porch. Yeah. Which porch? <laughs> All right, I love it. Anybody got one more? One more. Playing music with your siblings. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. All right. So, uh, so it's interesting. A very similar passage to this Matthew passage is found in Luke chapter 12. And Reed and I were kind of looking at this a little bit, and I, I was just really, I was just really, really compelled by this verse in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. It says, Jesus says, he uses this beautiful shepherd language, and he says, "Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom." It's this beautiful image of being set free. 
And as this, this shepherd, this good shepherd, he set us free into this world to live and to be. And so he's given us the kingdom. It was his pleasure to do that. He has set us free into an open field. So what I thought I'd do to kind of end our time tonight is I'd like to read something to you all. And if you would, could I ask you guys to close your eyes? And we would have kind of a, a guided meditation. And then after this, I'm going to pray. And, um, and then I think we have a song at the end. You're walking on a path in the forest. On your right, a twig gently shakes in the wind. You hear a spring somewhere nearby, a babbling brook bubbling and rushing. The interplay of wind and water makes sounds. It's delightful and you're absorbed in the sound. It's peaceful. And so you just sit and listen for a while. Then as you keep walking, the trees begin to give way to sunlight and you approach a clearing. The air is cool and crisp, but that sun beams down with its warmth. You see a large tree near the middle of the clearing and begin to walk toward it. As you get closer, you see that there's plenty of grass around, so you sit underneath the tree. You take off your shoes. You hear birds singing. They are delighting in the wind just as much. You lose all track of time, and it's good. It's okay. You can stay here. Don't be worried about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. There isn't anybody else out here, and it's okay. You're okay. The birds sing delight, and the sun beams down, and you are carefree, and you are truly content. God is splendidly present. It takes no effort. God is silhouetted in the sun, and he delights in you like birds singing their joy. You, you are splendidly present, and it takes no effort. Sitting barefoot beneath a tree makes heaven rejoice like a babbling brook bubbling over. It takes no effort. Don't worry. This is the reality of things. Effortless, like the interplay of wind and water, you and your father who adores you and always has. So be still and know, and be free in this open space. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.